Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Pony Stampede podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Billy Embody. Look, first and foremost, we got to jump into the SMU-TCU game being canceled, and we're going to do just that. We are also going to answer your subscriber questions, as well as preview the next position on our list for the 2020 season, and that is outside linebacker. So we're going to jump into those three things today and get you out the door for a great weekend ahead. I will be around a little bit, a tad this weekend on the Pony Stampede boards, but uh, I will also be in Austin for a little uh, vacation, a little bachelor party for one of my friends. So we're going to kind of get together and do a little COVID-friendly bachelor party. We're going to get, we got a little boat on the lake. We got our own house. Everybody's been good leading up to this. Uh, we got a bus down there and, and, and we're going to do it a uh, safe for those wondering. And, uh, anyway, I'll be around the board a little bit and we've got some content already planned for you guys. So check it out on pony stampede as we're doing 50% off annual subscriptions. And we'll be back at it on Monday as SMU will move into week two of fall camp as uh, they started on Monday because they moved up the Texas State game and could get underway. And now they really can focus all their attention on Texas State, a little bit on North Texas and SFA. And SMU now has to find a fourth non-conference game as well because TCU is no longer on SMU's schedule. The Big 12 did rule that they were going to do a nine-game conference-only schedule with a one non-conference game model but that one non-conference game had to be played at home. So SMU, who was expected to host TCU this year, no longer. SMU did offer up the chance to flip-flop the games and have the Mustangs come to Fort Worth for the second straight year and play the game over there in 2020 and have the Frogs come over to SMU in 2021 and 2022. But that won't be the case. And so here we are. No battle for the iron skillet for the first time since 2006 in what would have been the 100th edition of the battle for the iron skillet. So it does stay in Dallas another year after SMU beat TCU last year. But here's the thing. And and I, I fielded a lot of subscriber questions on this. And I think I'm going to do an okay job of answering this as best as I can best I can and then I'll at least share my guesses at who SMU would replace TCU with on the schedule and so let's get into it I I think one TCU said that they have a contract with Tennessee Tech to be the home non-conference game for them and they had it in place before the Big 12 made their ruling and I believe that. If you don't, you can Freedom of Information Act the contract whenever it gets executed or what have you, and it's there because Tennessee Tech is a public university. So if you don't believe the TCU side of things, you can either expose them or you know, find out that what they said is true. And that came with a buyout, a, a hefty buyout, allegedly. Again, you can Freedom of Information Act that. And so... That took care of TCU's home non-conference game, and they had already lost a couple of those with some of the other schools canceling games and, and canceling seasons and whatnot. So I think TCU's excuse is kind of valid. 
you know, I think I think this was a game that could have been played. I think at the end of the day, TCU was 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 in a hurry to get games on the schedule, and they did. But you can't also say that you can't not say that that TCU isn't excited that they don't have SMU on the schedule this year because Gary Patterson knows what he has coming back. And look, they did a good job this offseason adding some pieces. They beat SMU out on some defensive recruits, especially. They they landed Savion Williams. They landed some junior college help. They added five-star running back Zach Evans. They added five former five-star defender Marcel Brooks. But at the end of the day, this team is going to go as Max Duggan goes. And right now, that is a big question mark going into year two of him as a starting quarterback. And some of these guys that they did bring into the program last year in one of the better TCU recruiting classes in a while aren't necessarily going to contribute right away. They have two of the best safeties in the country, two of the best defensive backs in the country. They have some pieces, without a doubt. And TCU's always done a good job in Gary Patterson's bad years of bouncing back and having a good year. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case this year. And so getting an SMU team that has Shane Bouchelle back, Kylan Granson back, Reggie Robertson back, they added Danny Gray, who they flipped from TCU, and TCU knows how good Danny Gray is. I mean, if, if you haven't been out to practice, which don't get close to the team, but you can walk by the, the fences, you know, there if you've ever been out to SMU practice. Danny Gray is the real deal. They have a ton of talent on offense. Their depth on the offensive line is improved. They've got four or five starters back as well, and some of those starters aren't etched in stone either. Defensively, they have two of the best corners in the AAC back. They have a veteran linebacker group. They have a good defensive line, and the question mark is certainly safety, and we'll see how it goes. But Jalen Rager's not there anymore, so you really don't have to double cover anyone at TCU anymore like you probably had to do a little bit of uh, with, with Rager on the field. And TCU probably doesn't want to play this game. It's it's not anything that's surprising. And so there's always going to be two sides of this. You know, should SMU have done this or that or whatever? Look, SMU deserved to have this home game in, an, in a normal year and all of that. There's no question about that. And I would have picked SMU to beat TCU straight up. But with everything going on, you just got to accept that this year just sucks. And COVID-19 sucks and all this all this stuff sucks. And so this is just the latest casualty of it. And so that's kind of uh, my opinion on it is that you can't sit there and cry about it and, and figure it out. But you can also recognize that TCU theor- kind of ducked SMU this year. And it, it worked out for them. They, they have a legitimate experience you know, reason in Tennessee Tech being contracted to come to Fort Worth and play their one home non-conference game. But there's no doubt that TCU wanted no part of going over to Dallas or really going to, to play SMU this year. It's a motivated SMU team that finished their season off very, very poor. And they have pieces to go ahead and win the iron skillet for the second straight year. So you could see the two sides of it. I think Rick Hart did a great job handling this. It is what it is. And, 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 and that's the thing about it is you can't sit there and, and as, as much as you'd love to nitpick and do all this stuff, it, it is what it is in 2020. And I don't know if there was 
if the Big 12 would have handed down this decision last week, I mean, maybe maybe the contract isn't executed between Tennessee Tech and, and TCU and there's a game. But at the end of the day, uh, this, this year is just kind of, you know, a, a thorn in everyone's side. And I think SMU did a good job trying to get the game played. And TCU has a reason, but ultimately TCU is pretty happy that they're not facing SMU this year with all the weapons that SMU has coming back and with all the uncertainty TCU has offensively. This is a year that SMU very well could have beaten TCU for the second straight year. Now, looking ahead, SMU now has an open spot on the non-conference slate. And so here are a, a few teams and kind of ranging in three levels, I would say. I, I think one one team is is UTSA. Okay, they lost a they lost a game uh, against LSU. I'm not too familiar with the rest of their schedule, uh, but uh, just talking with a couple sources, I do know that the door is at least open for that game to to potentially happen. We'll see. I don't I don't think it's anywhere near uh, happening right now, but uh, it's an in-state option. It's a safe option. They'd probably come to SMU, and so that's. Uh, something to to watch and then I'd look at Texas Tech and look at them and and say hey this could be one uh, that that could uh, happen uh, their game against UTEP I believe can't happen because uh, it was on the road in El Paso uh, and everyone loves to complain about SMU scheduling but how about a Big 12 team going to El Paso to play UTEP on uh <laughs> the road so that one uh is, is certainly uh Unless they move it to Lubbock, it's not going to happen. So that would leave a, a door open for SMU to play Texas Tech, who's lost a couple other home non-conference games. Then I think you drop down, way down, and you just try to get another game in there. I mean, it could be, I mean, it could be FCS. I know Nickel State, you know, can't play LSU this year, so they've got an open open game. They would probably come to Dallas. It'd be a bye game. Um, I think there are a few other in-state programs that probably will have the same issue uh, at the FCS or super low level uh, uh, level of competition. Rice Rice lost uh, a game against LSU that was supposed to be a neutral site game against Houston. So there are some regional ones that that could potentially whet the appetite just to get a game in because I do think SMU wants to play a twelve-game schedule. They've got their best team, even you know. Counting last year, they've got their best team since the 1980s, and they want to see this team on the field as much as possible. And I think they want to give that to the players too, because if SMU could stay healthy and, and navigate this the right way, which it seems like they are so far, this has a chance to be really special. But it's also a chance for a lot of these guys, like Shane Bouchelle, Reggie Robertson, Kyle Grantson, uh, some of the linemen, to and some of the linebackers to and, and Brandon Stevens at corner to really show their stuff. For the next level, so that, that's an that's another part of it that has to be taken into consideration. These players have prepared for this as best they can through unreal circumstances to have a chance to show what they can do at the next level in their final years. So give them the most opportunities to do it. What it looks like now without TCU on the on the schedule, not so sure, but give them the most amount of opportunities to play games. And I think that's what SMU is going to try to do. They've got some flexibility now. They have an open date on September 5th, and they have an open date on September 26th. The thing about the one against on uh, September 26th, it is right before Memphis. 
on what would be a short week on October 1st to open the AAC schedule against the Tigers at home in Dallas. I would imagine SMU would love to fill the September 5th spot (laughs) with a non-conference game versus the September 26th spot and have almost two weeks to prepare for Memphis. And not only that, but if something were to happen against North Texas, you know, COVID-related, that would give them almost two weeks to get everybody with negative tests. So think about that. Be something to monitor. We're going to move on now to the subscriber Q&A portion. And we only have a few because most everyone (laughs) kind of trolled TCU in our beautiful uh, podcast questions thread on Pony Stampede. And I want to lead off with one that that's kind of uh, quick to um, quick to answer. And how many spots does SMU have for last minute transfers to come in before the first day of classes? They've got a few. They've got a few spots. I don't know the exact number, but they do have enough room uh, to have to have a few transfers come in. I know Sonny Dykes has said they think they're going to get end up getting a few transfers. I think that's a good bet, especially with the way this program has been run over the course of the last few years. So it's something to monitor. We'll see. I do think uh, it wouldn't shock me if some of these players realize once they're at school and kind of how the season is beginning to unfold, that they could enter the transfer portal pretty quickly at their own school. So it could stretch into the season and SMU could save those spots, so to speak, uh, as well. But uh, they've got some spots available, yes. In terms of the AAC tiebreakers in the event of a tie where the season ended early, I think it would just defer to the same tiebreakers as it is. It would be, uh, you know, your conference record. And then I I don't know the tiebreakers off the top of my head in terms of uh, when it gets to three and maybe four teams, but it, it'd certainly be conference record. And then if you have a, a ranking, I believe that's involved uh, as well. And, um, and then it probably comes down to point differential. I'll, I'll, I'll have to check on that, but I don't think they're any different than if, than if, uh, if the season you know ran its course looking at the recruiting side of things with Keetron Jackson and JJ Henry now seeming to be out of reach what are the receivers SMU is going after besides Duran Bradley at DeSoto so Keetron Jackson is trending to Texas on the 24-7 sports crystal ball JJ Henry uh, is I think headed elsewhere in all likelihood but we'll see how his recruitment plays out SMU still in contact with both. They've, they've had them on Zooms and everything like that. And then Duran Bradley is the big DeSoto wide receiver uh, who SMU is trying to flip from Texas Tech. I don't think they're really going after many other receivers. They And, and I, I say that pretty confidently. I think that's the trio they're going after. And from there, one, you got to feel really good about where SMU's receiver room stands. I don't think they need to sit there and try to get another receiver that who knows could you know flake out or won't be good enough or whatever because you've got so much talent in that room right now and a lot of young talent too that with Dylan Goffney who they love Jalen Record uh, who they love as well uh, coming in right now that's a good start and then if they can end up with the Duran Bradley I mean that they'd be thrilled but I mean at the end of the day you've got TQ Jackson in there now uh, as a young receiver and you've got Rasheed Rice and Calvin Wiggins and Kiki Burns and Thad Johnson, and you know, it's it's a, it's a talented receiver room without a question. Uh, and then uh, another recruiting related question is uh, 
in terms of the SMU Houston game, how much of of these recruits really care who's winning straight up between the two schools? I don't think very many, quite quite frankly. I think it's more of a direction of the program type of thing. And I mean, take Remington Strickland or Joseph Amos, uh, for example. Those two guys appear to be kind of SMU Houston battles at this point. But I'm not so sure the game would really matter that much to them. Because I think both realize the two programs are kind of in different places right now. And they also just kind of run things differently. You know, it just, uh, it's more of a field thing. I mean, unless they're really, you know, beating the heck out of them and things like that. I mean, last year's game was competitive. The The series has generally been competitive over the last five years. And, uh, you know, SMU's won, I believe the majority of them, I could be wrong. But it's, you know, it's it just both programs, even though, like Houston took the reset year, you know, that can kind of be used to counteract any win by SMU. I think... At, at this level, kids can kind of be, and, and I've seen this nationally just overall, kids are a little less inclined to sit there and be like, oh man, like SMU beat Houston for a second straight year. Like, I'm not going to go there. Or look at Danny Danny Gray. I mean, for the, you know, while, while SMU beat TCU for the first time uh, in, in a while, you know, I don't think that game sealed it for him to go to SMU. Uh, and, and I think, what they were doing offensively overall and the direction that they were going in was more of what he was all about. So I, I just, I don't think the individual matchups are as big, as important in the eyes of these recruits as some may think, but um, you know, it, it, it can't hurt you to, you know, keep beating, uh, keep beating one of your rivals. Uh, kind of some, some, some scheme questions here for SMU. Uh, some teams use receivers in the backfield to run the ball, as Memphis did with great success against us last season. Which of our current receivers do you think would be a candidate for do, doing that now? Well, I I don't think Memphis did that. Uh, Antonio Gibson is six foot two twenty eight, and he's a running back. And he just plays a lot in the slot because he's got elite speed and he's versatile. Um, and it would be, I mean, you know, uh, Kenny Gainwell. He's a he's a running back, so it's. Um, but you're starting to see this position, not versatility, but just trying to create mismatches a little bit more. And I think you can put just you just put your best athlete there. It's not a it's not as much a height weight thing, and that's why Antonio Antonio Gibson's a, a hell of a slot receiver and also a hell of a running back. Um, it doesn't take a, a a a position for him to do it and and just kind of end up. You know, he didn't just they didn't just play him at running back and he had success. It was uh, he's a hell of a football player and he can just do it. Uh, so I think, I mean, Danny Gray could do it. Uh, Thad Johnson could do it. Rasheed Rice could probably do it. Those are a couple of the guys that I would just kind of spotlight. James Prochet could have done it. Those are a couple of the guys that, you know, I could see doing that. Ulysses Bentley, if he's comfortable catching the football. Um, which he's in his second year at, at running back, you know, after playing quarterback in high school, he's a guy with the speed to do what Antonio Gibson uh, did. He's just a little bit shorter in build, but he's pretty thick too. So um, I, I, I think those are a couple of the guys that SMU could do it with, but I don't think it's like a, you know, we're lining up a running back. You know, Memphis was lining up a, a, a receiver in the running back position. I mean, he's, 
he, he's a running back. He can he can play it, and, and they had Kenny Gainwell, and that's kind of why you know, he played a little bit more receiver than he did last year. Um, finally, uh, what's more likely, the Mavs winning the ship in the bubble, SMU winning the AAC championship in Shane's final year on the Hilltop? I'll, I'll go win, SMU winning the AAC because I could not care less about the NBA in general, so I have no idea how good the Mavs are. I mean, all I know is like Luke is on the team, and uh, that's about it. So the NBA can go fly kite. As far as uh, a, there's a few top tier draft eligible guys at other programs sitting out the season. Any chance we have guys sit out the, the for the draft for other reasons, health, safety, etc. Doesn't seem like it. Um, all the guys are in camp and ready to go. So uh, it would be kind of a total turn, I think, for that to happen. Uh, update on this year's NFL draft signees from SMU. I mean, they're all just entering camp, so there's really not much to share. James Prochet got his first picture taken uh, in a uh, Baltimore Ravens uniform. And then whatever happened with Pat Nelson, he hasn't been signed yet. I mean, it's look, it's a weird deal. I don't understand if Pat has a uh, some sort of red flag and, and on a physical or anything like that, but it's bizarre, and uh, it sucks. I mean, hopefully he can catch on somewhere, but um, that's it on him. Uh, I think that is it for our question portion of the pod. And we will take a quick break from the Pony Stampede podcast and we will come back and we will quickly preview the outside linebacker position. So stay with us and we'll be right back after this quick break. Welcome back to the Pony Stampede podcast. Thanks for listening. Quick reminder, guys, to leave us a rating, leave us a review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you leave us a question in the reviews, we might just answer it on the pod. And also, again, 50% off annual subscriptions to Pony Stampede. So during all this time, I mean, sports are coming back, but you need your fix on SMU football leading up to the season. Fall camp is closed, guys. It's closed to the media. So what better place to get all your VIP scoop on what's actually going on at practice and with the team than at Pony Stampede. I can tell you guys right now, we've dropped already like three VIP stories on what's going on behind the walls of fall camp. We've got you covered on recruiting. We're the only site that has talked to Sonny Dyke since fall camp has started. So why not subscribe? Appreciate you guys that have done so already. Now, Moving on to the outside linebacker room. This shouldn't take long, but this is a position that is very, very, very uh, competitive in fall camp. This is one that I am watching with, with really, really significant interest because SMU has to replace Patrick Nelson at one of the spots, and they have Delano Robinson returning at the other, which is terrific for SMU. He's one of their unsung heroes on defense. I believe that. He's one of the better players. When when he wasn't out there, it was a big difference. And that's no disrespect to Shane Haley, but that's just what Delano Robinson brings to the field for SMU. Now, you look at uh, what they've got at outside linebacker now. You've got Delano Robinson as the clear-cut starter over there on, uh, on the regular outside linebacker spot. So I guess that would be the will uh, in SMU's defense. And then Shane Haley's behind him. And then on... And then also in the mix there, I would say you've got uh, you know you've got Jimmy Phillips in that mix. You've probably got J.C. Rispress in there, so you've got some depth. You've got some guys that have been around. And then as far as the Fox position where Patrick Nelson played, this is where it gets interesting. 
because you've got Trevor Denbo who moved down from safety and you've got uh, you've got Cameron Jones who transferred last year. He played safety towards ACL late in the year. He's still recovering, getting back to full speed, but he's now at that outside linebacker spot. And then you've got Ty DeArmond who transferred from Oklahoma back to his native DFW area. And then, uh, you know, you've probably got some other guys that they can mix in there like a JC Rispress or Jimmy Phillips and compete. This position is, is I think Trevor Denbo is probably going to end up starting at this position and he's physical, he's fast, he's athletic. We've known all those things. I think he struggled a little bit in coverage playing safety and that was just something he wasn't quite frankly, he wasn't, he wasn't that good at. And he also had the, the struggles with ejections at, at times during his SMU career. But putting, in the bo- putting him in the box and allowing him to just either go get the quarterback like Patrick Nelson did or maybe be close to the line of scrimmage allows him to use that athleticism and use that physicality and bring something to the table. Now, will he be able, be able to replicate what Patrick Nelson did? Probably not. He, I mean, not many people are going to be able to put that together and, and do what Patrick Nelson did last year. But he's got the athleticism to contribute. And when you look at the linebacking core and not to bring in the middle linebackers, which we previewed earlier uh, on the podcast uh, an episode or two ago, when you've got Richard Moore and Richard McBride out there, that's a pretty good middle linebacker spot. And you've got to set these edges. And with Delano Robinson being as steady as he is, Trevor Denbo being pretty strong at that position, I think physically, he's got a chance to contribute much more in a positive manner than he probably did at safety, where you've got Chase Cromartie and Chevin Calloway emerging as the starters, it appears, so far in fall camp. So Trevor Denbo is probably, if I, was, if I were to name an X factor on this SMU defense, it'd be Trevor Denbo. He's got the athleticism, he's got the experience now, and he's got the physicality. The guy loves to hit. I mean, you watched him and he lined somebody up. He does love to to hit. He needs to wrap up a little bit better. Last year, I believe he was dealing with a shoulder injury, and he was nicked up, and so he kind of didn't finish tackles as well as he should have. If he's healthy, if he's ready to go, being up closer to the line of scrimmage, sometimes you don't have as much time to think about what you're doing, which is good. You know, Sometimes you try to line up a big hit or throw a shoulder in a guy at the safety position. Doesn't have to do that this year. He's up close to the line of scrimmage. He can make plays. And he can go get the quarterback. He's he should be one of the quicker guys that offensive tackles in the AAC have to deal with off the edge when they do bring him on the blitz, which should be fun to watch. When you factor in Nelson Paul and and Toby and Duckway and Turner Cox and some of these other defensive ends SMU has, should be very, very fun to watch Kevin Kane kind of scheme some blitzes and stunts and things like that uh, with Trevor Denbo and some of those other guys trying to bring the heat. So Trevor Denbo is my X factor, quite frankly, on SMU's defense. If he brings what I think he can bring when he's at his best, that should be a huge help to the SMU linebacker room. And that will allow so much more to be able to be done by Kevin Kane and this defensive staff as they coordinate the defense. Now, I think the biggest concern, of course, is is does he not make the adjustment? So then you look to a Cameron Jones who maybe be, will be healthy, fully ready to go by then. He's really athletic. 
he would be a little bit more undersized, I think, right now. Denbo's, I mean, all of 6'1", 220, looks like he's bulked up a little bit. Cameron Jones has been rehabbing, so he's still kind of getting back into shape. But he is really athletic, and you'd have you're gonna have between him and Tidy Armin, you're gonna have a a pretty good competition next year for two outside linebacker spots, and in, in most likely most likelihood between them, J.C. Rispress, Jimmy Phillips, all those guys, and then uh, you know it, it's gonna be uh, a really contested uh, battle there for for those spots. But this year, it's probably Trevor Denbo's job, and then we'll see if Tidy Armin gets eligible. He transferred from Oklahoma, like I said, but he needs a waiver to play right away. But those two guys will play a lot this year, and, and I think that uh, you know they're good depth. They're 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 guys that really want to win that battle as well. So uh, the the linebacking group, I mean, you look at it; it's veteran and it's thin. <laughs> it's thin after this year in a way, in terms of ex- in, definitely in terms of experience, but it, it's. Uh, there's talent there this year. I mean, there's depth at the linebacker position, and and that was produced by the defensive staff and you know the whole staff just looking at the roster and saying, okay, how can we create some depth here? And they moved Cameron Jones and Ty, and Trevor Denbo down, and then they add Ty DeArmond from the transfer portal, and all of a sudden your linebacker room looks totally different. So it, it's a it's in a good spot right now. I think uh, obviously looking way ahead recruiting that position you've got Isaiah Kelly and Trevor Travion Sneed in this class uh, and who knows maybe they maybe they're down to move some other players around and create some more depth next year for that position but right now uh, the linebacker depth is is probably outside the defensive line uh, probably the deepest on the defense Uh, I mean you go three deep of guys in the middle with Richard Moore Richard McBride uh, Brian Holloway and and Preston Ellison and then you got Delaney Robinson Trevor Denbo JC Rispress Jimmy Phillips Cameron Jones and Tidy Armin. That's pretty that's pretty salty in terms of depth right there. And and all those guys have played outside of Tidy Armin uh and 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 Preston Ellison to an extent, but he's played too. So it, it's a good group. Uh, I think that's a uh that's a position where it can really boom if Trevor Denbo steps up in a big way this year. And uh but at the end of the day, you have steady guys in Richard Moore and Richard McBride and Delano Robinson to kind of shoulder the load. But uh Trevor Denbo, he steps up. Defense is in a lot better shape in 2020 uh, with with that uh, move from safety to the linebacker. So with that, guys, going to wrap up this podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys have a great, safe weekend. And thanks for listening to this edition of the Pony Stampede Podcast.